presence more and more as we have come gathered this afternoon to, to worship the Lord Jesus and to hear from him. That's what we're here to do. And so let's turn our attention to God's word. So if you have a Bible, let me get you to turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 will be in verses 13 through 17. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And as you turn there, let me offer another word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you uh, for how you're already moving uh, among us, Lord. And uh, we pray that we would continue to press in your presence this afternoon, uh, that we might know you more and more, and that we might adore you more and more, that we might enjoy you more and more this afternoon. And so God, would you help us to do that? Help us to do that now uh, as we hear from your word, or would you glorify yourself through the preached word to the people of God, for the glory of God, we pray this afternoon. God, I pray that, that even what we're going to walk through, Lord, um, that it would be, uh, yeah, that it would land, uh, land on us in fresh ways. May it land on us in fresh ways. May we hear from you in Jesus' name, and may we obey you, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. 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 So Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Here we go. It says, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Verse 15. It says, And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And as the scribes of the Pharisees and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, simple outline for our passage this afternoon is this. Number one, Jesus calls us. Jesus calls us. We'll see that in verses 13 through 14. And then number two. Jesus befriends us. Jesus befriends us. We'll see that in verses 15 through 17. So one, Jesus calls us. Number two, Jesus befriends us. Let's look at number one, Jesus calls us. Look back with me starting at verse 13. It says, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. So Jesus goes to an area where he can be more accessible. Uh, as you remember, if you've been with us over these last few weeks or so, uh, that as Jesus has been going through uh, the towns, the crowds have been hefty, right? They've been big crowds, and it's been hard for some to get to Jesus. And so he goes out to the sea again, 
and the crowd was coming to him. And as the crowd goes to him, we find Jesus doing something he loves to do and what essentially defined his ministry. What was that? Look at, look at the end of verse 13. What does it say? It says he was teaching them. He was teaching them. He was teaching them the word. He was teaching them the word. So far in the Gospel of Mark, we've seen uh, the teaching and preaching of God's word mark Jesus' ministry. Uh, we saw this in the beginning of the book, how the book starts off, right? In Mark 1, 14 through 15, you can look there. Uh, it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. A couple of more verses that we've seen so far since studying this book. Uh, one in particular, we see Jesus, when he went into the synagogue, he was teaching. And the people were amazed by his teaching. Look at Mark 1, 21 through 22. It says, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, talking about Jesus, entered the synagogue and was what? Teaching. Verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus, even after spending time with the Father, as we looked at that a few weeks ago, how he prioritized intimacy with the Father, uh, we saw that in Mark 1, 38 through 39. Uh, after he spends time with the Father, he goes out preaching. So Mark 1, 38 through 39, it says, And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And then in our time, just a couple of weeks ago, before he heals the paralytic, uh, spiritually and physically, he was preaching the word to the crowd. So before he heals the paralytic, spiritually and physically, as we saw, he was preaching the word to the crowd. Mark 2.2, 2, it says, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was what? And he was preaching the word to them. And lastly, we see him teaching the word here in our passage that we're studying this afternoon. Jesus prioritized the teaching and preaching of God's word and his meeting physical needs, whether that be healing or different miracles that he performed, were an implication of the preaching that he was doing, right? So this was a, so he preached the word and an implication of his preaching was to meet physical needs, as we've been seeing. So like Jesus, uh, that's why here at CHCC, we prioritize the preaching of God's word, the teaching of God's word, and then everything else flows from that and points back to that. Uh, we want to be just like Jesus in prioritizing the, the preaching of God's word here on a Sunday gathering, but in our lives, right, throughout the week, as we continue to apply the preached word, as we continue to apply the word, as we read in our own times together with the Lord. So we see Jesus here teaching the crowds, and then he, he dips off in verse 14. As he was walking, it says that he sees Levi, right? Look back at verse 14 with me again. It says, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. 
And he rose and followed him. Levi is the apostle Matthew, as we learn and as most of you know, uh, as we even learn this in Matthew 9.9, 9, it says in Matthew 9.9, 9, it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So Levi, Matthew, same person. We also learn that Matthew is a tax collector, right? And something that you may already know, if you didn't know, tax collectors in this time were shady cats. They were, they, were, they were shady. They were known in the community to cheat you and do you dirty. Uh, they were even hated by their own Jewish people. Uh, in our day, they would maybe be equated to a shady IRS agent or somebody of that sort, uh, trying to charge us more uh, so that he or she could you know, gain the profit. And also in Jewish writings, Matthew's profession as a tax collector was considered on the same level in a bad way uh, to thieves and murderers. So again, so in Jewish writings, we see that, man, somebody who had the profession of a tax collector was equated. They were considered on the same level in a bad way as thieves and murderers. They were also banned from the synagogue, and they were treated as castaways in the society. Similar to the leper that we studied some weeks ago, um, one touch from a tax collector, similarly to the leper, would deem somebody unclean. This is how they were viewed in society at this time. And yet with all of this background, yet with who Matthew is, Jesus calls Matthew to himself. He calls Matthew to himself. Jesus says to him, follow me. And what does Matthew do? He rose and he follows him. Now, now think about this. Jesus called someone to himself whose money was his God, who was a liar, who was a cheater, who was a sinner. Now, we should all be screaming hallelujah at this time, at this moment, just being reminded that Matthew's description, the description of Matthew is very much our description. We may have not done all the different things that Matthew did, but the Bible is clear that we have all sinned against God and that we have all broken God's commands, right? James 2.10 makes it clear that we have broken all 10. Right? So if you broke one of those commands, you're guilty of all 10 of them, right? So we all, like Matthew, are guilty before God. And Jesus has called Matthew, and he's called us out of our sinful mess. Amen? He's called us out of our sinful mess. And the call to follow Jesus meant that Matthew had to leave everything. He had to leave everything. Listen to Luke 5, 27 through 28 on this account. It says, after this, talking about uh, Levi, Matthew, Matthew and, and Jesus, it says, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And here it is. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. I mean, just think about that for a second. Matthew had to leave everything he knew. He had to leave the life he had that was comfortable to him and what in his mind, was normal to him. He had to leave family, 
He had to leave friends. He even had to leave his work, his profession. This is the call to follow Jesus. You have to give up your life, relinquish control. It's not us who are steering the ship anymore. It's Jesus who is steering the ship. I mean, even for some of you all, you've had to give up careers to follow Jesus. Some of you all have maybe given up careers to follow Jesus, things you thought you would be doing career-wise, you're not doing. And I'm not saying you still couldn't do whatever that career desire is if you are a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. You can, obviously, uh, if it's a career that, you know, would please the Lord. But you've come to learn, or maybe you're still coming to learn, that Jesus' plans are always perfect and that they're always better for you and for me. He has you right where he wants you. And you can be used by him. He can use you to make much of him in the current field that you are in. Some of you have left certain churches or beliefs that were in opposition to Christ and his ways. And for some of you guys, relationships have suffered because of that. Keep following Jesus. Keep believing his word. And Love those who maybe have disowned you or turned their backs on you and trust the Lord to sort out the rest. Trust the Lord to sort out the rest. You keep following Christ, believing his word, trusting him. This is the call for for us as Christians. Some of us uh, maybe even have left the hood, right? Right? left the hood, and the hood doesn't show us the love it once did because we've decided to follow Jesus and not continue in the ways of the world. That's okay. Jesus is better. He is good. We have to keep following him. And over time, and this may have already been happening, you may have already been experiencing this, The Lord may use you to reach folks who are stuck in the hood or stuck in hood ways. And so may we be encouraged and be reminded of that this afternoon. Maybe you're here, you're a follower of Christ. There are some things you're still struggling with to let go. Well, let me remind you and me of our Lord's words in Luke 14, 33. Here's what he says. He says, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You can't renounce all that you have. You can't be his disciple. So we must give it up. We must give it up. You gave it up at conversion, so when the Lord first saved you, but the call as a follower of Christ is to continue to give it up. We keep giving it up. We continue to to die to self, and we keep giving it up. Luke 9, 23 and Romans 8, just to name a few passages, are clear on the call to believers that we must die to self daily. This is a continual thing. It happens at conversion, but it's a continual part of our sanctification and growing and knowing Jesus And so may we be reminded of that this afternoon, that the call to follow Christ 
is a daily call to follow Christ. And may we continue to follow him because he is better and he is worth it and he is worthy of all of our praise and adoration. Amen? His ways are better and they are good. So may we continue to look to him and trust him and believe upon his good gospel and rest in his good gospel. So that's point one. Jesus calls us. And number two, Jesus befriends us. Jesus befriends us. He is a friend of us. Look back at verse 15 with me. Here's what it says. It says, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When someone comes to know the Lord, there should be a celebration, huh? The heavens rejoice. We should very well rejoice when someone is converted. Well, in some sense, this is what we find our Lord doing as he grubs with Matthew after Matthew's conversion. Uh, And this gathering, just to uh, point your attention to it, is something that Matthew hosted. So this is a gathering that Matthew has hosted, as it says, as he reclined at table in his house. So Jesus and the rest of the disciples are reclining at table in Matthew's crib, and they are getting their grub on, and other tax collectors and sinners are also there for the party, also there to to celebrate uh, this new journey that Matthew is on. Something else that we see Jesus doing here is befriending those who have been labeled castaways. This is what Sister Nikki was alluding to in her time leading worship this afternoon. Jesus is befriending those who have been labeled castaways. Again, tax collectors, as I mentioned before, were hated by the community. And as you see even in the text, it has two groups of people listed there, right? It says tax collectors and sinners. Matthew had some of his fellow tax collectors there with him, and those who were criminals or or gangsters or prostitutes or et cetera, et cetera, were also there with him. So tax collectors, those fellow tax collectors of Matthew's profession or his his previous profession, but then also sinners, those who were, uh, yeah, living a lifestyle that opposed God and his ways. This was the type of crowd Matthew hung with. And essentially, tax collectors and sinners are both sinners, right? So they're they're both sinners, and they are both living lives that oppose God and his ways. And I think what Mark is trying to relay here is just how these groups were viewed poorly in the eyes of the religious leaders of the culture in this time. This is what he's trying to relay. He's just trying to relay how, how poorly these groups of folks were looked down upon by the religious leaders of this time. But Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners, and praise God that he is. He's getting his grub on with the people the religious leaders of this time wouldn't be caught socializing with. He's eating with them. He's dining with them. He's hanging with them. They were attracted to him. They they heard his, as we've been studying this book, They've heard him preach, and they've been amazed by his preaching. They've seen his miracles, how he's healing those who are sick. He's casting out demons. The demons shut up 
when Jesus tells them to shut up, to close their mouth, they are silenced. They are amazed by this. And so these folks are attracted to Jesus. They're wanting to know who is this guy all about? Who is this person all about? So while Jesus is is cooling with the people, the Pharisees are looking down upon that. They're, They're hating on Jesus and what he's doing with reclining with tax collectors and sinners. Look back at verse 16. It says, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So before we move on, let me just... Uh, yeah, share who the Pharisees are. So who are the Pharisees? One scholar gives us some insight on who they are. He says this. He says, the Pharisees were the pious, so devoutly religious. Uh, They were the pious Jews who rigorously followed the law of Moses and opposed Greek and Roman influence, right? And so they were devoutly religious. He continues to say, he says, the most distinctive characteristics of the Pharisees was their strict adherence to the law of Moses, the Torah, right? They carefully obeyed not only the written law, but also the oral law, a body of extra-biblical traditions that expanded and elaborated on the Old Testament law, right? So think the traditions of the elders in Mark 7-3 that we'll get to in some months here. But they, they, they... obeyed the written law, but they also sought to obey other things, the oral law, more laws on top of laws. And then lastly, he says, the Pharisees' goals were to apply the Torah's mandates to everyday life and to build a fence, to build a fence around the Torah to guard against any possible violation. So they were, they were, yeah, fixated upon, they were, they were trying to, you know, live this out in everyday life, but then also to build a fence around these laws so that that would prevent any type of violation. They were trying to keep people from breaking the law, and they were adding all these different things. They're adding a fence around it so that that would prevent, hopefully, folks from violating the law. So they were trying to uphold the law, which is a good thing. To uphold the law is a good thing. But then they started adding to the law, which isn't a good thing, and they missed the memo about how God loves and welcomes all people who will turn from their sin and turn to him. They missed that memo. They essentially missed the heart of God for the law of God. They missed God's heart in the law and what the law was purposed for. They missed the heart of God that he he loves people and desires people to come to know him and to worship him. And so just one application by way of question. Are you a friend of sinners like Jesus is? Am I a friend of sinners like Jesus is? When you think about your friend list or when you think about the people you're in conversation with the most, or people you're hanging with, cooling with, are there any unbelievers included? Are there any unbelievers included? Do you have any friends who don't know Jesus and hang with them? Or do you only hang around, do I only hang around believers? Now, 
I get it for most of us, if not all. Uh, we can't be in certain places around certain friends because it's either not safe or it's, it's not wise. Uh, for example, for me, like I wouldn't be cooling, you know, in a trap house with homies uh, just because of the, my lifestyle before Christ and the things I was into. Like it wouldn't be wise for me to be in that type of setting, right? And whatever that means for you, maybe that might be for you, maybe not wise for you to be in that setting. But for some of us, we may need to reevaluate our friend list a bit. We may to reevaluate, we may need to reevaluate our friend list a bit. Here's what I'm saying. If all we do is hang around Christians all the time, and we're not hanging around non-Christians, then we're missing the Great Commission. We're missing the Great Commission. Now, I know a lot of us in our workplaces, we work with a lot of non-Christians. Amen to that. Praise God to that. I pray that the Lord continues to use you, as I've been hearing stories of how the Lord has already been using a lot of you guys to reach your unbelieving coworkers. Continue to do that. I'm thinking outside of your normal nine to five. I'm thinking during the week after work or during the weekends, are you hanging with some of those non-Christian workmates? Are you hanging with other non-Christians who live on your block? Uh, Wherever that might be for you, are you hanging with them? Jesus was a friend of sinners. He befriended them, as we see here in this passage, so that they would what? Experience his love and come to know him. Verse 15 says, there were many who followed him. There were many who followed him. So Jesus is reclining again at the table, right? He has his disciples with him, those who he's already called to follow him. Other tax collectors and sinners also there present. Pharisees looking on, seeing what's happening. Jesus was intentionally hanging with sinners so that they might come to know him as Savior. So this is the other thing, right? This is the other thing, right? So, so we should hang around non-Christians as believers. And I want to encourage that. And I know a lot of us do. Praise God. Let's continue to do that. But the other thing is that we should be striving to share the gospel with our non-Christian friends. We should be striving to share the good news of Christ with our non-Christian friends in hopes that they may come to know the Savior. To not do so would be unloving and not friendly. To be Christians and to be hanging around non-Christians and we are striving to be their friends And we're not sharing who Jesus is and what he has done for them as he's done for us would be an unloving thing and not friendly. So may we hang with sinners. We're sinners saved by God's grace. May we hang with non-Christians and call them to Jesus, to follow Jesus so they might know him and live for him and enjoy him in the same way that we get to. Amen?
Amen. So call them to follow Jesus. Invite them to church where they may hear and see the gospel on display amongst the believers who are gathered. So call them to follow Christ. Proclaim the gospel. Invite them to church or, you know, if there's another church that's near them and gospel preaching and Bible believing, encourage them to go. I remember even hearing one brother saying that he's going to go with uh, yeah, one of his coworkers, Rick, going to go with one of his coworkers to a gospel preaching church that's near uh, this lady's home. Praise God. Praise God. May we encourage them to, to get plugged into a local church where they can flourish and grow in their relationship in Christ. And then also, as we see here modeled here that the Lord Jesus is modeling, may we invite them to our dinner tables. May we invite them to our dinner tables. May we invite them to, to come have a meal with us, to, to dine with us. May we do that. And again, I know this is already happening for some, but I can't stress it more. I can't encourage it more. I want to encourage it more and more that we would see yeah, just all of us more and more intentionally seeking to share the gospel, to invite people to service, invite them, encourage them to go to another gospel preaching church, and invite them to dine with us, to have a meal with us so that they can experience the love of Christ and so that by God's grace they may come to know him. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, are we striving to model after Jesus by being a friend in grace and truth, love and care, calling those who don't know him yet to follow him? Are we striving? That's the whole idea here. Are we striving to be like Jesus, calling non-Christians to follow him so that they might know him and follow him? Let us not be like the Pharisees in word or deed, stiff-arming our non-Christian friends, but may we be like Jesus with open arms, welcoming our non-Christian friends to follow him. May we be like Jesus, open arms, welcoming our non-Christian friends to follow him. So one, yeah, one encouragement, a challenge for all of us this week, you may already be doing this, but let me encourage you to do it again. Pray about who that one person is. Pray about who that one person is this week who doesn't know Jesus, who you could be intentionally seeking to build a relationship with or continuing relationship with, share the gospel with, invite them to your dinner table, or invite them to church. Let us all be challenged to do that this week. Who's that one person? One person that you might be intentional with, sharing the gospel with, inviting them to church, et cetera, et cetera. May we do that. May we all strive to do that. So once again, the Pharisees asked why Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus hears them, and then he answers them in verse 17. Here's what he says. Look back there with me. It says, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, the Pharisees thought that they were well. 
They thought that they were well, but in all reality, they were all sick like the rest of the crowd, all sick. Jesus here uses an illustration to get a point across, using the illustration with the physician, the doctor, and those who are unwell and how he calls, you know, the righteous. And as I was just kind of reflecting on this and just kind of thinking about this, there's nothing worse. I mean, there could be things worse. There's nothing worse than someone who's sick but thinks they're well. Someone who's sick but thinks they're well. You can't tell a person like that anything. When they think they know that they are well, but you are seen, and all signs are pointing to that this person is not well. It's like someone who all the signs are screaming that they're sick. They, they got a runny nose. They got a cough. They got a fever. Uh, they've been in bed for an extended amount of time or days. And you're like, yo, you need to go to a doctor. You need to go to a doctor. And the person responds like, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to take some meds at home. I'm going to try to work this out myself. And you're like, nah, nah, nah. You've been doing that already. I think it's now time for you to go to a doctor and maybe get some extra help. Maybe get some stronger meds. Maybe they can help counsel you uh, to, to get something that can help you get well again. Well, similarly, the Pharisees didn't know or want to accept that they were sick spiritually and in need of Christ. And that they were in need of the great physician to heal them, Jesus. And that Jesus came to heal the spiritually sick. Those who know they are spiritually bankrupt and only Jesus can help them. See, the Pharisees thought that they were good spiritually. They thought that because they were keeping the law, that they were good with God. They thought that by keeping the law and keeping other laws and other fences around the law, that that brought them salvation with God. So when they looked upon the tax collectors and the sinners, the tax collectors and the sinners seeing their need for a savior in a different position than the Pharisees not seeing their need for the savior. They looked down upon the tax collectors and sinners. But the tax collectors and sinners were in a better place than the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were hardened, not seeing their need for God. The tax collectors and sinners were broken understanding that they are in need of a Savior and only Jesus, the one that they've been hearing about who's been coming and preaching, proclaiming, living, serving, leading, casting out demons, working all types of miracles, is the one who has come to heal them spiritually and physically. And so the Pharisees didn't know that or didn't want to accept that. And so for us as Christians, even though we've been saved, may we not creep into a pharisaical type of mindset and not see our need right now for the Savior, not see our need this upcoming week for God's mercy. Once again, we are converted by God's grace, but God is still working on us. 
He is still sanctifying us. He is still saving us. We've been saved, but on that day, we will be finally saved and with Jesus for all of eternity. And so until then, in between time, may we not pick up the mindset as the Pharisees trying to do things to appease God, but instead of accepting and believing upon what Christ has already done for us, and may we see our need for him daily. So may us as Christians not creep into that lifestyle, not creep into that mindset. May we understand and may we see our need for Christ on a daily basis. May we do that, amen? Because we, we need him. We need him daily. We don't outgrow God's grace. We need God's grace on a daily basis. We're still sinful people. We're still wicked in our ways. Although the Lord has saved us, we still have an old man that tries to creep up that we have to put to death on a daily basis. And so may we not try to do any of that in our own strength. May we not try to do that in any other way that we would try to do that. But may we trust God. May we believe upon him. And may we see our need for him and come to him and trust him to do only what he can do in us and through us. So, in closing, Jesus came to call sinners and praise God that he has called us who know him. And Jesus came to call us and to befriend us. And praise God that Jesus is a friend of sinners. That at one point, we were enemies of God. We were not his people. But thanks be to God that he has made us his people. And he's made us friends with him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in Christ, we are friends with you. One point, enemies of yours, destined for wrath, deserving of your righteous judgment, but you sent Christ to live the perfect, sinless life that none of us could ever live and die the death that we all deserved on the cross for our sin. He was buried in the grave and on the third day raised from the dead, resurrected from the dead, offering salvation to all who would repent and turn from their sin and turn to you by faith. We thank you, God, that, that that's true of us in this room, that you open our eyes and you open our minds to understand, open our eyes to see, you open our ears to hear. You opened our hearts to believe in this good news so that we might be saved. And you became our friend. You're no longer our enemy, but you are our friend. And then you called us as Christians uh, yeah, to, to be friends, to show the love of Christ to our unbelieving friends and family members who don't know you. You call us to be friends. You call us not to be pharisaical and, and be 
righteous in that way and look down upon people because the reality of it is is that we're one step away from messing up ourselves and that before we knew you, we were just in the same boat. But only by your grace and your sheer mercy, you called us to yourself. And so you call us to, to not look down upon people, but you call us to look with the eyes of Christ, with compassion, as we've even been studying in the Gospel of Mark, to look with eyes of compassion on our unbelieving friends and family members. And so God, help us, Lord. Help us today. Help us this week as we have a mission field, Lord, that you've called us to, to make you know. Give us wisdom to do that, Lord. Give us boldness to do that. And help us, Lord, to be faithful to do that more and more. And as we seek to be faithful in doing that, trusting you with the results. Trusting you to convert souls as only you can do. You don't call us to convert souls. That's not what we can do, but only what you can do. And so, God, we pray that you would do that. And that you would help us to be intentionally praying for folks. That you would help us to be intentionally sharing this message, this good news with folks. That you would also help us, Lord, to be intentionally inviting, Lord, in wisdom, uh, those around our dinner tables uh, so that we might be able to show the love of Christ and point them to you. Give us wisdom. Give us grace to do that, Lord. And we pray that you would get the glory out of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.